Welcome back to Obscure Broadcasting's podcast, Famous Last Words. We are in the middle of our 31 days of horror, celebrating 31 horror movies that we like, find interesting, or never saw and want to revisit, uh, or visit for the first time, for that matter. Um, We, last summer, made a horror movie, and that horror movie was set primarily in one location, and it really became more of a thriller, and it was intended to be more of a thriller, but it has horror elements. Um, So today's episode uh, is particularly... Uh, interesting to us because it is a movie that is set in one primary location and dealt probably with lots of bugs and mosquitoes and dampness and that is from 1980 Sean Cunningham's Friday the 13th the beginning of the Jason movies um so I had not seen this movie until we watched it in advance of this episode um yeah I hadn't seen it either so, oh, I'm Andrew. Who are you? Voice. Oh, I'm Teresa. Oh. Uh, Welcome. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> um, so, I hadn't seen, so, like A Nightmare on Elm Street, I had not seen that one either. Because growing up in a, you know, after the dearth of sequels, these movies were, like, they became an amalgam of all these things together, you know? So I didn't see any of them because they were all too scary for me when I was growing up. And by the time I was old enough to watch them, I just, they had kind of passed me by. Um, This movie was really interesting uh, in a lot of respects because it is heralded as like a masterpiece. And I can see why they think that. And um, I don't disagree that it's a a masterpiece. It, um, it's kind of ahead of its time. It is kind of shocking that movie was made in 1980. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, similar to Andrew, I had only, as a youngin, had only seen um, Halloween um, until I was an adult and until we started doing this podcast um, that Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, I finally got to see, even though, you know, they're like beacons in this genre. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting, Friday the 13th. I think I was expecting something a little bit different because... I I had it. I didn't actually know that Jason isn't even in this movie. Really, he's referenced, and maybe there's a, a little portion at the end. Spoiler. Um, they make you. It's weird because through the his, history and the kind of just like you end up with a lot of images of this guy in this hockey mask going around with a machete, mowing down teenagers. Basically, mm-hmm. like that's the image culturally. So you. Almost watching it, you kind of can forget that you because you can kind of, watching it again. We've been talking about the way we watch these through history, but almost watching this, you're almost picturing the you know the big six foot plus tall guy that's beef, beefy and wearing the hockey mask. So you can almost picture that in your mind because you've seen because we we're so used to the iconic image of pop culture. Yeah, and in this film you don't see the killer until the very end. And, you know, you there's a lot of use of the um, POV killer camera and the voyeurism and just watching the kids and, like, um, you know, so in your brain you're picturing Jason watching them and it's actually not that at all. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting knowing Jason and watching this movie not and, and not experiencing it where you have no idea who the killer is. Um and it, you just feel weird going through and knowing, you know, when it's revealed, you're like, oh, I was completely wrong. 
it's not right. Jason doing this. It's someone else. And I also think the twist. So again, big spoil is about to happen. Okay, you've you've been warned. Um, is that Betsy Palmer, this kind of little old lady, Mrs. Vorkies, the neighbor to the camp or camp adjacent or exists around there, is the murderer of the whole time, which if you go back and kind of think about it, she does some pretty things that would require a lot of upper body strength and she doesn't particularly seem to have a lot of <laughs> upper body strength, but that doesn't really matter. Um, but there are moments in this movie that... Um, if you don't know she's the killer and she shows up at that juncture, I think you'd buy it. You'd buy that. There's no way that she was the killer. I mean, at that moment when the, you, you have no idea. Yeah. You wouldn't suspect her at all. Right. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like a stretch of logic with like how she kills um, some of the characters and, you know, revealing who she is later. You're like, Hmm, that's interesting. But you know, it's definitely calling back to, we just talked about Deep Red, um, but like Italian giallo cinema, like they tried to always throw you off with who either the murderer was or yeah. whatever the thing that you're figuring out, the mystery. Um, and a lot of the murders in the, those films were women and it was like really easy to throw the audience off by being like, he murdered this person. And then you're like, oh my God, it's a woman. So I think they were trying to like do the same thing. Yeah. This film. I think so for sure. The, um, almost the most impressive element of this is, well, seeing a very young Kevin Bacon is always a, is always a treat. Um, but the most impressive thing to me about this movie is probably the music gets really highly regarded in the whole, Uh, yeah, so that, uh, or whatever you think, you know, says, you know, is saying, but kill, kill, kill. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. Is, is, is that what it is? Or is it kill, 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 pause, pause, <laughs> Um, but, uh, the, the music in general though, is not like that kind of like tape, like delayed sounding voice. That's like a whispery. It's, it's a lot of like kind of orchestral music and the music is very, Bernard Herman esque and 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 it has this like psycho vibe and some of it's pretty dangerously close to psycho in my opinion. Um, I had no clue that watching this movie that the music because you only hear like the but you could no, I had no clue it was just like psycho. Yes. Yeah. I uh, and that, that that kind of shook me or threw me because I I think that at the time I always I always my the image I always made on the first. Friday the 13th movie is it was a kind of low budget with a, like closer to Halloween with the elements being kind of synthesizer-y and like that was the vibe and I, I thought the score was you know that one iconic thing but then kind of like just synthesize stuff that didn't stand up no this movie had a huge budget for, for this or like a pretty big budget for the score because the score is very impressive you know the score um, to this movie is akin to a lot of much bigger budget movies uh, uh, that were being made at the time. And it, it's, it sounds it. And I think it heightens the movie and it makes the movie even more timeless in a way. I thought that, or a little bit more higher budget because realistically we just have some teenagers running around uh, getting, getting slaughtered in the woods. <laughs> yeah. And I, I agree. And I think I have no idea if this is the intention behind it, but 
I like that the music was very similar to the music in Psycho. And then in the beginning of the movie, you start following this character um, who's going to the camp to be a chef, I think. And, you know, you're following her getting into the town and she's like hitchhiking and um, people warn her about the like camp death. I think that's what they call it. Um, yep. Yeah. So and then, you know, you get to a point and she just you're following only this one person and then she gets murdered. Yeah. And and so it was very much like the beginning of Psycho. And yeah. you're like, but, you know, we're modern audiences now expect that a little bit more. But I just thought, I wonder if there was a connection between the music and the structure of the movie. And I was completely taken aback by that they killed that first. I I, I did not see it coming until you kind of knew it was too late for her. Mm-hmm. her. I thought she was the last one standing. Like, I, I, I was like, oh, she'll be the final one. She'll live through the thing. Right. And nope. <laughs> nope. They killed they they killed her first. Uh yep. Um I know that during production they lived on set a lot a lot some of the cast members and crew lived on set and that's kinda like how we made our movie. Um what was that experience like for you, like working on one location primarily on our movie? Um, I mean it was really fun. It it feels a little bit like film summer camp. And so it's funny that Friday the thirteenth was like filming a summer camp. Um, and so it must have felt so much like that. Um, our film's not about teenagers or summer camp or anything like that. But, you know, it's interesting to be in the environment that you're filming your fictional story in, um, you know, and, and especially if you're doing a horror film, it can actually be a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I thought filmmaker summer camp. Yeah, that was that was pretty. Yeah, you get you get different vibes, a different connection to a place and you know, these mem- there's a scene in um Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where uh Brad Pitt's character goes to like the ranch where the Manson family is living and goes and sees Bruce Stern. I don't remember the actual character's names, but it doesn't matter. And he's just like, Oh yeah, I used to come here, we used to make westerns here. And it's that, that you have a connection to a set when you like spend all this time there, you spend upwards of sometimes twenty four hours a day on, on a set. And I think that there's something to be said for making a movie in one location because then you'll always have that like every vibe from the set is like has like a spatial memory for you and it's a cool experience Mm -hmm. and that's something i i definitely enjoyed about ours was like you know being in a location being out in the woods you're cut off from the world a little bit and that creates a a good vibe to make a a good product yeah and you you surround yourself with the crew and and the actors depending on if they're staying there with you and you know, you end up forming these bonds that maybe you wouldn't have. And I think that gets injected into the film. And I think that's a really cool thing because you, you know, you begin to trust each other and know each other more than just like working on set. Yeah. So Friday the 13th spawned endless sequels. And I think in a lot of ways trying to chase the magic. This movie is definitely part of, um, you know, to me, the uh, a chasing of the next big special effect, the next big, oh, how did they do that? Um, that a lot of practical special effects went into this movie, and that some, sometimes they felt like the setups were to get the women topless and the, the <laughs> then to be horrifically murdered um, with new and different spe- practical special effects. So Friday the 13th definitely has a place in the pantheon of greatness. Um, but thank you so much for listening. If you want to go back and listen to previous episodes you can get them wherever you get podcasts uh i'm andrew and i'm Teresa. thanks so much for listening